Let's, let's ask his blessing on this time. Thank you, Father, for your word. It is just a book, paper, ink, uh, nothing spectacular about that. Lots of books, lots of documents with pages and letters and stuff. The content of your word is your communication to us and you take it by your spirit and open it up to us and use it in our lives. And we are very, very thankful to you for that, for giving us your word and for through your word, speak to us. You, you uh, refer to the second person, our Lord, as the word as well, because he is your communication to us. And we are, we are so blessed. I pray that as we look this morning at that little book of Titus, and we go back to the passages we were looking at before, that you will be speaking to us, making our hearts and minds sensitive to what you have to say to us. And I thank you for this opportunity to do that. And I pray your blessing upon it. And I pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. Well, we're looking at... Titus, and the, the chapter that we are starting now is chapter 2, where Paul has been writing to Titus and encouraging him to stay in that island of Crete to appoint leadership and elders to work in the churches to help structure and organize the churches because leadership is important and it's important, the churches are important, and this is just a way of of kind of seeing to it that the work is going according to what would be biblically proper. In fact, he starts out in chapter two after referring to dealing with a lot of uh, unruly people and using the word to exhort and to refute, exhort with sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. He's turning to Titus, he says, but you, Titus, you speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. And um, so he's putting the finger on Titus. One of the things that stood out to me as I was looking at this, and we didn't look at it the other day, but I'm going to just mention it briefly, is there at that beginning of that statement, if you'll notice, and every word, I think you would agree with me, that every word in the text is important. Some words may seem more important than others, but just to clarify, he says, but as for you, this is verse 1 of chapter 2, but as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Just notice there that he's speaking about these things, not so much that they were fitting, but that they are still in the present tense. In fact, that's almost what he says at the very beginning of chapter 1, where he talks about the Paul, a bond, this is verse 1 of chapter 1, Paul, a bond servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised long ages ago, but at this proper time manifested even his word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior. Manifested in this present time, this is information and truth that his present tense, Paul is speaking here, has been entrusted to him, and he is disseminating those things. So I'm thinking about that, and the reason I'm thinking about that is because sometimes 
Um, we think about salvation as something which we do at a point in time we make. In fact, the, the uh, phrase, uh, the hour of decision has kind of misled us in one sense to think about salvation as a momentary decision, which is either, and then it's behind us. And then that point on, we kind of just, we are a Christian and, and we just continue on in that area. But there are lots of passages in the scripture that make it clear that coming to Jesus Christ is a continual aspect, a continual pursuit. In, in uh, Luke 14, if you remember the passage where Jesus is, the large crowds following him and he stops in the middle of these crowds that are following him and he turns and he tells, says to them, no man can be my disciple uh, who does not hate his mother, father, wife, brothers, sisters, and so on and so forth. And no man can come after me unless he's willing to give up his life, take up his cross and follow me. And then following that, he uses these twice, he uses the statement to count the cost, to evaluate the commitment that I'm asking, because he's asking everything. And that's a, that's a hard, that's a lot of, a, that's a lot of a demand. It's not the kind of gospel that we usually preach. We usually do say, you know, accept Jesus into your heart, which I don't like as a way of saying it, but that's what we use sometimes, accept Jesus into your heart. And then from that point on, we just sail but it is a it is salvation is a past present and future reality for us and there is that sense in which every day we are coming back to the fountain to drink of that living water and every day we are seeking his face and seeking to to serve him to know him to grow in him you understand what i'm saying it's just really it's really very very important and there is that there is that continual struggle. There's a struggle that way in my heart as well, where the scriptures says to keep seeking those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand and not on the earth. And um, I find that struggle real in my life. First uh, John chapter two talks about love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. It means, <laughs> not to to value and pursue and try to embrace and pull into your life the things of the world but if any man loves the world what does it say the love of the father is not in him what that means is that if you're loving the world and you're obsessed with the world then the love that the father gives to you to love him back is not there and so from then that point on you're loving the world and you're not able to love the father you're not able to respond to him you find that that relationship with the father grows stale and cold because you're focused on loving the world and the things in the world rather than loving the father and letting and, and suing him I, I seek to do that galatians 6 7 8 is another verse that means a lot to me in that area where paul says be not deceived god is not mocked whatever a man sows this and this alone he will also reap if he sows to the flesh to the things of the flesh he's going from the flesh to reap death that is death toward god uh, his relationship with the lord is going to dry up but if he sows to the spirit then that relationship is going to produce life there's going to be that that uh, vibrant 
reality of the living faith and the living relationship with the Lord. So it's really, it's really very important. It's, it's different between really knowing the Lord and walking with him and putting him first and seeking to follow him or turning from him and pursuing what we call the pleasures of the world, which in ultimate sense really kill us and drown that relationship with the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? It, it, it produces that kind of death. So understand here the relationship that he's talking about when he, he mentions this, when uh, Titus, when Paul mentions this in Titus chapter 2, it is an ongoing relationship. These are things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Sound is um, having to do with healthy doctrine. That is doctrine that's according to the biblical text, according to the Bible. The Bible is its own interpreter. And I say that, and it sounds kind of, yeah. But you can, lots of people interpret the Bible to say what they want it to say. And so you don't want to do that. You want to let the Bible be its own interpreter and let it, let it set the parameters. And so here is Paul telling Titus that you are to be communicating, you are to be teaching those things which are fitting or which are suitable for healthy doctrine. And then he, he did, and this is another thing we looked at, and I'm just kind of backing up. The congregation that he's referring to when he talks about the people, he divides them up older men, older women, young women, young men, bond slaves, and masters. I've, I have racked my brain to try to understand why is he dividing the group of people up like this? Why is he doing that? What's the logic behind it? And the only answer I can come up with is that there is a situation where uh, there is a slight difference in the way people respond as they're getting older, as opposed to younger, uh, the men as opposed to the women, some of the things that there's a difference. So he's just letting us know that the Lord is involved and has his standard of being biblically accurate or, or, or having things that are fitting for sound doctrine at all age levels. It, it affects us all. I remember when I was at Grace Church, I never, funny, you would think about it, but I never really thought about it. They had a, a series there in the Sunday school class one time, adult Sunday school class, where one of the ladies that teaches the children was talking. Actually, one of the ladies was one of the guys, one of the elders. And he said that children need to worship the Lord just like adults do. And I really never thought about that like that. I never thought that they had, I mean, it's kind of stupid, but I never thought about children as having that ability to worship, but they do. If they come to know the Lord, they worship the Father just like we do. It may be a different story that gets their attention, but that is a reality that God is able to work in the lives of all kinds and all age levels and all age groups. And uh, so here is this group divided up into older men, older women, young women, young men. And um, he, he just, he begins to work them. Older men, he said, are to be temperate or to be sober, if you will, dignified or serious, uh, sensible, that is uh, showing self-discipline and serious mindedness, sound in the faith, uh, in love, in perseverance. This is the only one that has, that I can remember, has perseverance. 
And you would think that older men would have already persevered, but maybe it's that older men who have walked with the Lord for a while sort of think they can uh, we can take our foot off the gas and slow down. Now we 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 young young men we want to persevere until we get older, but as we older we kind of slow down a little bit. And so he just holds that standard up and says, No, you need to persevere uh, in the faith. There's never a time when you when when retirement comes for you, it's when we attend your funeral. That's when retirement begins. So older men, younger, older women, then he says, likewise. Notice that word likewise. It appears in this text several times. It appears in verse three. And also it appears in the beginning of verse six, likewise, young men. And again, the context there, I think, tells us that when he says likewise, what he's saying is that in all of these cases, all of these things are to flow out of things that are fitting for sound doctrine. Whether it's old, older men, older women, young women, young men, these are all things that are fitting for sound doctrine. So he says here, likewise, again, he does it in verse 6. Likewise, these are things that I'm going to talk about that are supposed to be fitting for healthy doctrine, which just tells us, doesn't it, that God's word is to be taken seriously. If we do not take it seriously, we will suffer. We will be the loser. Because God has, the Lord has bothered to give it to us, and he holds that standard over us. And so it's, and it's, it's the best, best thing we can have, because it's his word to us. It's his truth to us. It comes to us as, as uh, direct and as fresh as if God were speaking. And the fact, that's what the word inspiration means. It has his breath behind it. It's like it's coming right out of his mouth. It's inspired. It's inspired. And so uh, here is this God, his word of God that is given to us for profit. Older women then, and I've got to move on because I'm going to take up all the time. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine. There is a sense too, and I realize that some of you are going to say, well, women men like to gossip too. And maybe that's the case. But I do know when I work at Lowe's, this is going to be sort of funny. There's four or five ladies that very frequently gather in the back. And this, they just talk, 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 talk about different things, boyfriends, this, what, this, these different things that happen. And I look back there sometimes and see them, sometimes one of them, like Emily or Elizabeth will look over and when she does, I go like this, like that, like they're talking to each other because they're, they're gossiping about different things, things that happen. Um, it is important to be able to talk like that. But what he's saying here is, just don't be malicious. Don't gossip for the purpose of destroying people. You see what I'm saying? That's the difference between gossip and saying things and saying things that damage people that are destructive. Don't be malicious gossips. Don't be enslaved to much wine. But teaching things that are good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. Uh, to be sensible, that idea, this is for young women to be sensible be sober-minded, to be have self-control, to be pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. And again, people say, well, why do we have to be, why does a man have to be the head of the family? Well, the answer is because God said so. I understand that. It can be a problem. People don't like it. That's okay. You don't have, but in society, all of us, God has called us to submit to authority. And all of us have areas of submission. He's going to be talking about masters and slaves. And when he talks about masters and slaves, he's going to tell the slaves 
to be submissive to their masters, even if they are severe, to be submissive to them so that Jesus Christ is honored and glorified. That's what matters. It's, it's not whether I feel better about myself or whatever, but that Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior, who is God, who gave himself for me on the cross, is glorified in my life. And because of who he is and because of what he's done for me, I'm willing to do anything he asks me to do that he might be honored and glorified. It'll be righted one day, but right now there's time, there are things that happen that are not necessarily joyful, but it doesn't matter. I want my Lord to be honored. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's just really what matters. That's the issue. And so let's come down to um, verse 6. This is kind of new territory, what we've been looking at here. Verse 6 says, likewise, again, going back to things that are fitting to sound doctrine, I likewise urge the young men to be sensible. Again, that word is, appears three times in the, in the text, back up in verse 2, dignified, sensible, sound in the faith. And then again in verse, um, last part of, first part of verse 5, to be sensible, pure, working at home. Now it appears here, likewise urge the young men to be sensible, comes basically from the same word. There may be a slight difference, but it's basically the same word. Um, be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity and doctrine. There's good deeds, and we've talked about that, so I'm not going to belabor that, but there's a lot of references in the scripture that talk about good deeds. Uh, I was thinking of uh, verse 14 of chapter 2 where he talks about zealous for good deeds, Titus chapter 3, verse 8, to engage in good deeds. Titus chapter 3, verse 14, uh, must also learn by study and inquiry to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs. Um, Hebrews 10, 24, love one another, with, uh, to love one another and good deeds, to love and good deeds, simulate one another to love and good deeds. And then 1 Peter 2, 12, that they may be caused of your good deeds, observe them and glorify your uh, God on the day of visitation. The point is that our works that are done as unto the Lord are to be done for the purpose of honoring and glorifying him. I have a friend uh, that I, I don't know if I use this illustration or not, I will. It makes it sound like I'm patting myself on the back. But I have a friend that I give a ride to occasionally um, to an appointed church event. And, and I have to go maybe 25, 30 miles out of the way to give him a ride. Uh, this particular person has got some problem with his sight, so he can't see. So if I didn't give him a ride, he wouldn't be able to come. And I, I give him a ride. I give him a ride every time we have the meetings and stuff. And he has thanked me profusely on many times. I appreciate it. And I've told him, I said, I know that. I understand what you're saying. But you understand that Jesus said that inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, what? You haven't done it unto me? Now let me ask you a question. Is that a sacrifice for me to give Jesus a ride? No, it's not. It's actually my privilege to do that. Even though there's effort, gas, money, and even though... If I had my brothers, I'd rather do something else because I just don't want to go drive away. I thought I'd then come all the way back twice in one day. But that's all right because the Lord, he's, he's so good and we owe so much to him. And so 
these are things that we do. These good deeds that we do are good deeds that are done uh, as unto the Lord because it's just the right thing to do. And we love him and we want to please him and we want to glorify his name. So it's in all good things, then show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine. Now, let me stop there for just a moment. I, I, the word purity there, um, actually has the idea of being unalloyed. What is an alloy? Well, an alloy is when you take two metals or a metal and another substance and you mix them together, heat them up, mix them together, and they harden into a different substance. Then you have what is, is, a, is a different substance, not a pure item, it's an item with an alloy mixed into it. A lot of times it might make a metal stronger. Uh, they do that with gold sometimes to make gold stronger like that. But the thing that he's saying here is that um, you want your doctrine, when he talks about in all things, show yourself an example, um, show yourself an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine. That means to have a doctrine that's not mixed with something else. Don't mix the truth of God with other kinds of opinions, even if they're psychological opinions or popular theories or whatever. Do you understand? God's word stands by itself. Um, nothing else that we possess can be classified on a level equal with the eternal word of God. God's word comes to us outside of ourselves. Um, we know that the Lord is the only being who has the power of being in himself. But we know that everything around us, you see the trees, the leaves, the birds, the flowers, the bugs, the grass, the rocks, the air, the clouds, the sun, the earth spinning, the rivers, uh, all of the molten lava, lava, lava under the ground, the sun, the moon. By the way, I saw the other day something, I did, I'm, I'm detouring now, but I just thought it was very interesting. The moon is very, very precisely sized and precisely distanced from the earth. They were talking about all these planets that are inhabitable light. They, none of them have a moon that's exactly the right size and exactly the right distance of the earth. Because and that produces the right amount of gravity and the tidal changes, even the molten under the the molten lava under the earth, all of that works to produce exactly the right atmosphere for life to extend on this earth and the, the, the seasons to function. All, all of these things, the stars, the galaxies, the everything is created by God. And this is a like a space-time continuum that we are in, a stage that He has created, whereby we who are wicked sinners and deserve hell, he is able to extend mercy and grace to us and save us so that one day we will become a show and tell witness to the watching creation of angels of the grace and the mercy of God so that they can see through us and by our testimony how we have experienced the grace of God and manifest that grace to a watching universe. And so um this truth is not truth that originated here on earth 
This truth is truth that has originated with God outside of this earth, and he has brought it into us and given it to us. It is his truth. It is his eternal truth. It is his truth about himself and about us and what's going on around us and how we can know him and how we can please him and how we can obey him. And therefore, it's important that we spend time in this truth, okay, that we get to know him. So here it says purity of doctrine, uncorruptibleness or immutability, imperishable and incorruptible doctrine that he's given us. It's the imperishable truth that comes into our world from outside of us, outside of this creation. It's God's truth, and it is his standard for us, what is right, what is wrong. So that while we, we talk about trusting him, I agree. It's very hard. There are things in my life that I pray frequently, and I will always try to say, now, not my will be done. And I've asked him for things, and I've had to say, not my will be done. Now, honestly, it seems like sometimes that he is in the other room looking out the window when I'm praying, that nothing is going on, nothing is being said, nothing is being heard. However, I do know my Bible well enough to know he does hear my prayer. And I do know my Bible well enough to know he does answer it, and he interprets the prayer by the Holy Spirit, not according to my will, but according to his will. And in reality, that's what I want. That's what I want. 100% of his attention at that time. Yeah. We will, and, and we may not in this life know the, the, why he answered it a certain way. Sometimes we do, but we don't always do that. But I know for a fact that one day, the day of his revelation, when we see him and see what he's done, we will praise him for doing what he did, the way he did it, even though at the time we got, I got frustrated and said, Lord, are you going to, do you ever listen to me when I'm asking? <laughs> David said that sometimes in the Psalms, that the Lord had his hands in his pocket, would not listen to him. And, uh, but no, God does hear, and he's very patient. He's very merciful. And he never makes a mistake. Never. No. I'm very thankful for that. All right, let's move on. We're going to have to hurry. Uh, he talks about purity of doctrine. He talks about dignified. Uh, that's a little bit more of a difficult word. Um, it's kind of a little bit more of a difficult word to, to, to define. It probably kind of a balance, if you will, between a high standard Take your Bible, turn to 1 Timothy 3 4 for just a minute. Just back, back over to 1 Timothy 3 4. It, it's kind of a, a, a standard between pleasing everybody and doing what everybody likes on the one hand, and yet on the other hand, doing what is absolutely perfect and righteous and what is best. Now, that sounds like an impossible standard, and it is a difficult, but the, the word there that he uses, the word dignified, just speaks about that ability to do what is the right thing before the eyes of the people. I'm thinking of Joseph as a good example, and yet at the same time, to have this strong, strong contrasting uh, statement or, or purpose to do what is right. And in 1 Timothy 4, the word is used, and just let me read it to you. It says, talking about 
Uh, he must be the one who manages, talking about the leadership of the uh, elders with their children. That's three, three, four. Yeah. He must uh, be the one who manages his own household, uh, household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. And that word dignity is the same word. And what he's saying there is that there is a contrast between, I mean, and, it, and it's interesting that, that, that if he's talking about children there, there is a contrast between working with your children and on the one hand, pleasing them and trying to make them enjoy being your children and enjoy life and, and yet at the same time, disciplining and controlling them and making sure that they toe the line and doing it without losing control, doing it without displaying a serious flaw. And sometimes it's, it's, it's not so hard to correct adults, but when you have your own children like that, sometimes it's easy. You understand what I'm saying? It's easy to lose control. It's easy to kind of want to throw your fist through the wall or something like that or whatever. And that's that word here. And that's the word that he uses here that, that uh, when he's talking about these young men in all things, show yourself an example uh, for good deeds with purity in doctrine. That is with the, the standard of doctrine that is right, that is pleasing, is appropriate, and yet it does not lower the standard of truth, does not wash it down, does not. Uh, and that's a hard balance. But balance is important in doctrine. Balance is important to understand what the scripture says, not to go flying off the handle. I mean, gracious mercy, we've had a lot of crazy things that come, have come out of the church insofar as positions of doctrine that people have followed that are not really taught consistently in scripture, yet we've made some, made some rather weird decisions sometimes. So he says it's going to be purity and doctrine dignified. It's the balance between pleasing everybody and adhering to the highest standard of righteousness. And then um, he talks about being uh, sound in speech, um, so that your speech is is um, I don't know the best way to say it. It's 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 a, it's a speech that has gravity. It's it's um, it's it's speech. Well, we looked at the, the, the passage in First Timothy 3, 4, uh, and that has to do with controlling children. And that's kind of the idea of what he's talking about. Having a, having a, a speech that is under control and yet is, is in harmony with what God says. It's, it's uh, truthful. It's, it's his word. It's his word handled with those who love him and who respect him, and it's the product of a heart that wants to please him. We can know God's will by going to his word. We don't want to get carried away, go off the deep end. So he's, he says here, talking about being sensible all things, show yourself an example. Show yourself an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine or uh, healthiness and doctrine and dignified, sound in speech, healthy in speech, speech that is Speech that is balanced with truth, 
and uh, yet at the same time does not ignore responsibilities with other people and doesn't walk over people and doesn't sometimes we can do that and so it's just truth that speech that is balanced he says also that is beyond speech which is beyond beyond reproach which is a way here and we kind of get into the end of this there's a way here of talking about uh the fact that i think of paul when paul says i buffet my body so that after i have preached to others i myself would not be a castaway would not be someone to draw dispersion on the lord's name or the lord's honor i don't my, my life is important that's the purpose of the qualifications of leadership the high qualification is so that we will be above reproach that we wouldn't bring reproach or disrepute or disrepute to the lord's name and so what he's saying here is this this speech needs to be healthy so that we will not bring dispersions um over and over again the scripture talks about healthy speech or healthy doctrine first first timothy 6 talks about does not agree with the sound words those of our lord jesus christ and the teaching that conforms to godliness in first timothy 4 6 talked about being nourished on the words of the faith and the sound doctrine of the healthy doctrine that you've been following second timothy 4 3 talks about they will not endure sound doctrine but only have their ears tickled in Titus 1 9 talks about holding fast to the faithful word in accordance with the teaching so that you'll be able to exhort with healthy doctrine. And one more, Titus 2 1. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for healthy doctrine. Now, I, I'm not I'm not trying, I'm not bragging when I say this, but it you do need to be familiar with the scriptures in order to be kind of careful about the doctrine when you formulate doctrine sometimes from the word of God and to, to study them. It does take effort and it, it does take time. And uh, there are times when you come up with a doctrine, I've come up with doctrines before and then realize as I study the scriptures that I've interpreted incorrectly and had to go back and change. And that happens, thank God when it does happen so that we can be accurate in the things that he's shown us and helped us to see and so this is this is uh, this is important. These are things then that he's talked about. These young men, that in all things to show yourself an example, to be uh, an example of good works, uh, to be one that is uh, pure without the mixture of an alloy, uh, without error, without even personal bias um, in doctrine one who is dignified um, and also sound in speech, healthy in speech, which makes him beyond reproach, beyond being accused him of, of uh, being given over to error, maybe, because that we can do that. And then he says, lastly, that the opponent will be put to shame having nothing bad to say. Acts talked about the opponent. Um, Acts 8, 38, 32 rather, says this, which I thought was interesting. Um, now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb 
before her shearers is silent, though he does he does not open his mouth. That that uh, word there before is a translation of the word that we have translated here at the opponent. And what it's simply saying here is that that we're that we're in this deal, and there are those who are who are just not interested in what we have to say or what we have to teach or what we want to do. And while they may not necessarily always be aiming their guns at us, they are yawning, they're walking away, they are they're living in a different dimension, a different purpose, a different life. That's the, that's the idea of loving not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love that the Father has gives him to love him back is not there. So they love the world. They don't. They can't love the Father, and that's that, that thing that he's referring to. I think here the opponent is that which is in opposition, that which is not on the same team, that which is um, not encouraging. They may even and and sometimes even unsaved friends will say things that are encouraging, but yet at the same time. You know, it works for you. That's fine. You can do that, but I'm going to go and do this. You see, and so it's it's a it's a it's a it's a difficult thing because we are we're in the world. We have an eternal truth from God, and we are called to follow Him, to persevere, to be faithful. But many of the people that we have in the world that we even care for very very definitely are not interested in the things that really matter, the eternal things, the things that matter most, and that's hard. When you have somebody that you care for, and they're not interested in the things that matter most, um, I, there are people I pray for uh, on a regular basis, people that I love very much, people that I would be really to give my life for, who find the things most important to me are unimportant to them. And the, the difference is, the problem is, is these things that are most important are of an eternal nature and when they have turned their back on the truth i did that with my sister to talk to them when they turn their back on the truth and they may not they don't may not necessarily be violent they may not curse and swear and jump and down they just have chosen to put that in the back seat of what they really value highly but in doing that they have been given over in fact we talked about that in 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 uh and uh, I was trying to think of where it was in the second Second Timothy. Um, okay. Second Timothy four, um, verse four. We've talked. I've mentioned this so many times, and the reason I have is because it's such a heavy. It's one of those verses that just haunts me, if you will. In Second Timothy four. There, uh, there is a, in the Greek, 
active and passive voices. You know what an active voice is. An active voice in grammar is when the subject is doing the action. A passive voice is when the subject is receiving the action. And in this verse, 2 Timothy 4, 4, you have both tenses in one verse. Um, he's talking about in the context about those, there were people whose ears, they will accumulate for themselves, teachers in accordance with their own desires. And it says, and they will, here's the active voice, they will turn away their ears from the truth. So that's the active voice. The subject, the people here, uh, they have, they're listening to the speaking, the spoken message, they're receiving the message that God has. But then they turn their ears from it, and it doesn't necessarily stipulate that they are just intending to do it forever. They just decided they're going to investigate. They're going to listen to these other voices, these other things. These voices could be a preacher. These voices could be a professor. These voices could be friends. These voices could be uh, television, whatever. They turn their ears from the truth, and it says that's the active voice. The passive voice is the second half of the verse, and will turn aside to miss. Actually, it means they will be turned aside or abandoned to myths. That's the, the phrase. So that, and I'm going to be done with this. When God speaks to you, when you have his truth, and you are going to take him to turn away from that, to listen to something else that is contrary, and you know it's contrary, if you take that, start listening to that, God says, I am going to let you go into your error. When he does that, there is no way you can come back unless you have somebody praying for you and asking God to intercede because you can't, you don't have the wisdom to do that. You don't have the spiritual power to do that. The only way you can do it is if God's speaking to you or somebody's praying for you, you happen to tune into a radio station, listen to a message, and the Spirit deals with you about that. You can do that. But it's a, it's a scary thing to have the truth of God and turn your back on it. It's a very, very scary thing. Well, let me close the prayer. Father, thank you for your precious word. Thank you that you have gone to such extreme, even as the scripture talks about eons before the foundation of the world, to bring this together and to tell us about yourself and about us and about our situation. You've given us instruction about living and instruction about housing certain we are to to go to hell if you don't extend extend mercy and grace to us and yet you have by giving us your, your word you have given us great great hope thank you for that you don't do that to your enemies you do it to your friends and so i thank you for that i thank you for bothering with us thank you for your mercy and grace thank you lord jesus for coming for seeking me out for dying for me on that cross and paying for my wicked sins and then for working in my heart day by day and i just pray and ask you to keep doing it i as i mentioned earlier in the confession that in this message which probably is maybe it's not a good idea to be doing the message but have i requested many things that you have you have refused to answer my way in my time and i honestly don't always like that but yet at the same time, I do know it's best. And so I am thankful 
And I do thank you and praise your name for your goodness and your mercy and your grace and your wisdom. And I want my life to bring honor and glory to your name. And I pray for everybody here this morning that you will be working in each heart, that you will bring us all to the point of bringing honor and glory to our blessed Savior and that we will be living for him. Help us to do that because it's right and it exalts the greatness of our wonderful Lord. And I pray your blessing upon this week now. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.